Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from 1 John 4, 1 through 3, and then verses 9 through 13. Listen for what God is saying to you. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you know if a spirit comes from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come as a human is from God, and every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. This is how we know we remain in him and he remains in us because he has given us a measure of his spirit. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. Good morning, Urban Village Church. My name is Emily McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving as the pastor um, here and in ministry alongside many of the folks that you've seen up front, but many people you often don't see, but um, help us do what we do and be who we are. Um, It is a gift not only to, to be able to gather on Sunday mornings, but to gather together over time as Drew mentioned that um, over over the years as we live out our lives together, both lives of faith but also the practical realities of our lives, that we get to learn more about one another and journey together. And we were able to kind of get a glimpse of that or feel a little bit of that um, last Sunday afternoon as we were able to bless uh, four expecting moms in our congregation, Kristen, Katie, Sharice, and Sarah. Um, so please hold them in prayer and, the, and their, their partners in prayer as they prepare their hearts and their homes um, for all that is to come. Um, it was a blessing not only, I hope, for them, but also certainly for the moms who are gathered there to, to bless them and love them as well. A little bit of therapy happening as well. Um, so uh, that is what it looks like to do life together over time, and I'm grateful to be able to spend this morning to um, continue that journey. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for the gift that it is to come together um, on a beautiful day, um, kind of experiencing the beauty after the storm of the sun, uh, that that strange dichotomy of of the heat of the sun and the coldness of the snow and ice uh, coming together to create a landscape that um, speaks to your glory. And so um, as we have come out of that space, uh, help us to carry that wonder and awe um, as we lean into what your word might have to say to us this morning through me, in spite of me, open up those nooks and crannies of our hearts so that we, we might um, be transformed just a little bit um, for the lives uh, that you have called us to lead outside of this space. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. 
These past couple of years, um, we've heard a lot about the ways, I think, probably, uh, that the internet has been used to sort of uh, guide or manipulate or influence people, especially these last couple of years. Um, whether it's algorithms that embed ads on every page after you, web page after you've considered purchasing an item on a website or clickbaity news headlines. Um, now more than ever, uh, the competition for our consciousness is fierce. More and more, I am hearing um, thoughtful people reflecting on these realities and, and when they talk about it, uh, the conversation often turns to the commodification of attention. In exchange for free access to news articles and quirky videos, we are paying with our attention. The distractions we experience from day to day aren't only because of our bad habits or our lack of self-discipline, although that might be in there, right? But they're also very specifically designed to draw us in and pull us off track in our lives, right? How many of us have clicked on one super cute cat video and then 20 minutes later come up for air and wondered how did we end up with a koala climbing a tree, right? Like, so we have been there. Um, and it's designed very specifically to, to draw us in and keep us in. We, and, and in addition to that, we're constantly barraged with opinions and messages that shout down our inner voice or tap into those instincts that many of us have spent a lot of time and money in therapy to be guided, to, to get out of, right? Um, and so under these circumstances, though, it can feel really impossible to, to know what it means or, or to, to allow ourselves to be guided by the way of Jesus. Now, in our passage today, this is kind of what the author is trying to get people to do, to kind of cut through competing values, voices, and divisions of the day. The kind of voices that have no problem calling people out, but refuse to call them in. The sort of divisions that refuse to hear one another's experiences and stories as ways to deepen understanding and build empathy. The kind of values that encourage us to walk away at the drop of a hat when things get messy or challenging. The way of Jesus calls us to lean in and test the spirits, as the author says, which is another way of saying listening closely and looking deeply to understand what's behind what's going on. I like to call it the thing beneath the thing, the unspoken, sometimes even unintentional energy or agenda that is driving our decisions and actions. And as I reflected on this, I remembered a colleague of mine, Heber Brown. Um, Reverend Brown is the, the pastor of Pleasant Hope Baptist Church in Baltimore. And in the wake of uh, Freddie Gray's death, he worked with other community leaders to organize a protest and rally to draw attention to the unjust practices of the local police force. And at one point, he noticed that there was an organization called Blacktivist that was planning some other rally in the area. So, and he didn't really know anything about them. So he reached out, asking them kind of who they were and what their, what their agenda was about. And he learned that not only were these folks not from the area, but they actually hadn't had any contact with organizers who were on the ground. They weren't connected to the community. They hadn't built any relationships. And he explained to them, this is not the way to organize. You should have started with conversations before planning an event out here. The way you're going about this is deeply offensive to those of us who are from Baltimore and have been organizing all of our lives in this area. Now, Reverend Brown took a screenshot of the conversation that he had with them and posted it to his Facebook, saying, Facebook page um, saying, you can't bust up in somebody else's house talking about how you want friendship and are open to our thoughts after you take what you need. I pray that the example of this exchange can help us do better in filtering out unsolicited support. After that, Reverend Brown never heard from them or, or about uh, the blacktivists again until about a year later when he learned 
that the blacktivist account was actually one of the Russian operatives that were actively trying to create chaos and division among organizers. Reverend Brown disrupted the agenda of the blacktivists, not because he was so politically savvy or had some kind of inside scoop, right? It wasn't even because he's exceptionally intelligent, although I'm not saying he isn't. <laughs> what enabled Reverend Brown to interrupt the blacktivist campaign was that he was deeply rooted in his values. Values that said the work of community organizing isn't limited to events and rallies, although those can be important for demonstrating power, right? Values that said organizing is about relationships, that's about rootedness in community, and a commitment to a clear outcome. The church that this letter is written to has split. And the author isn't so much, at least in this passage, trying to figure out what's going on to work out the, the specific issue that they're dealing with, so much as to try to call them back to their values as followers of Jesus. In chapter 4 alone, the word love shows up 25 times. And it's not a long chapter, all right? Which is a pretty good clue, right, that this testing of the spirits that they're talking about um, is, is, what, is about what's behind, right, what's shaping their interactions. And it might be uh, really uh, easy to reduce this love um, to a warm and fuzzy feeling if it weren't for the fact that they're talking about the love that God showed to us through Jesus. That kind of love looks like standing with one another through the really hard stuff. It also looks like pursuing a vision and a value set that puts the needs of those who struggle the most at the center. It looks like sincerely engaging with people that you don't always agree with. It's a courageous love that calls people out of themselves and in connection to those around them. And this kind of love starts on the inside, but it doesn't mean much unless it shows up in our actions on the outside. Knowing how to live out that love can be incredibly challenging, but it is the centerpiece of a Christian life. This requires practices that keep us rooted, centered, and clear-minded. Now, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about discernment, right, what it is, how to listen, and today, how to keep listening, right? How to pay attention to what's going on so that way you can know how to move forward a little bit more. Now, recently, I was talking with a friend and colleague of mine, Reverend Sungyun Choi Moro, about the ways that she stays rooted in her work as an activist. So I'm going to invite Sungyun to come on up. We're going to do this Oprah style like we sometimes do, right? Um, so, well, let's welcome uh, Reverend Choi Moro. So... Um, Sungyun is the director of the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, which seeks just legislation in the areas of reproductive justice, immigration, domestic violence, and a number of other issues that intersect in the lives of Asian Pacific American women. The last two years have been incredibly challenging for organizations like NAPOF, as, as we've seen so many vulnerable populations um, come under threat, right? So I asked Sunyan about how she maintains clarity in her mind, how she discerns which issues are the most important for her organization to tackle, and, and how to stay focused on them in the midst of the kind of chaotic political reality that we exist in right now, right? And as she shared particularly about practices that help her stay rooted, I was like, I need to invite you to come share this with everyone here. So, um, so that's what I did. Um, that is my, my uh, privilege to be able to do. And, um, so she's going to share a little bit, um, but first I thought maybe if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, are you guys hearing me okay? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so my name is Sungyun uh, Choi Morrow, and I am um, an immigrant. I am a mother. I commute to D.C. I mean, there's so many dimensions to my life that I think, you know, in a snippet, it's hard to, you know, 
just explain the wholeness of everything, that the complexity of our, our lives, right? Like I think many of us, when we meet individuals, everybody sees a snippet of who you are. But um, for, for the purposes of today, um, I do lead a national organization um, that um, are located in five different cities, including Chicago, DC, New York, um, Philadelphia, and Atlanta. Um, and we as a team has grown from a team of six to a team of 20 in about 18 months. Um, and so just like the organization dynamics in itself is enough to spin us crazy dizzy. We often talk about how we feel like we sit in one of those teacup rides, you know, it's like the <laughs> plate is spinning and the cup is spinning and your head's, you know, it's like we have a lot of those moments as we're growing and trying to still um, deal with the realities of our world today. Um, we are the only organization in the country that um, works specifically um, on leadership development and centering the, um, the issues that impact the lives of Asian American Pacific Islander women and girls. And I think this is also partly why we feel the stretch that we do, um, because oftentimes, especially in DC, but in other places too, where um, if we're not at the table, then no one is talking about um, the needs of our particular community. So I often say that, you know, we spend half our time, you know, fighting in like the white feminist spaces as to why they should care about racial justice, and then we fight in the AAPI spaces as to why they should care about gender justice. And mm. that kind of in a nutshell sums up a lot of why, why I feel the need for this work and why our community continues to feel the need for our work. So how has um, discernment been part of uh, your work in activism and organizing, just sort of in general? Because before you were at NAPOF, you also were engaged yeah, in a lot right. of different organizing work yeah, as well. Yeah, so uh, I just want to say, like, I think Emily was very gracious and set me up for, like, very high expectations. Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, last year was a dumpster fire, okay? <laughs> like, it was a dumpster fire every year, just, you know, I mean, we all know why, right? <laughs> Um, and so, you know, um, for me, I think one of the most important disciplines in organizing is actually the discipline of planning and strategizing. I often find that whether it was in my previous job working in worker rights or even in immigrant rights or at the state level or around budget, that often people get really excited and want to act before we've actually thought out a plan. And, um, and I think that's even more true in, in, uh, in this Trump era where everything is so inflammatory and I remember when you know the first inauguration to you know whatever the the first congress um well I guess the inauguration uh two Januarys ago or was it three Januarys ago there was this huge march where like, like I know it feels <laughs> the wrinkles in my face um if you know like so many of us came out in droves to march right like it was historically the largest march in the United States ever, right? And one, and believe you me, I was there. I mean, I I got to meet Alicia Keys and Madonna. You know, I mean, it it was it was a thing to be at. But what what I had always been afraid of was that like the demonstration is a tactic; it's not a strategy. And here we were all out in droves, and we had no plans as to how we were going to capture this energy and sustain this movement to actually dismantle what this man was going to do, right? And so, in fact, yesterday I was 
talking to my partner, Joe, that, you know, I can't believe this is 29 days, what, 30 days going to government shutdown. And I was saying that if this was in Korea, like every single person would be out on the streets demonstrating, right? Like they actually got a president impeached because they sustained a long period of, of activism by sitting out in the streets, right? Like we do this every January 20th, right? Or whatever it is, that Saturday that happens to be before Martin Luther King Day, and I think it's because in some ways we lack the discipline of the mm. vision of like knowing this is not an easy or short-term fight, that it's mm. not enough that we are gratified with expressing ourselves, that it is actually that sometimes you need to not express yourself in that moment in order to get that long-term goal that's further down the road. Mm. Um, and so I think for me, um, I try to you know, it's, it's, this, it's this conflict because, like, I try to, that's, that's sort of my framework and how I approach my leadership and my work. But then every, day to day, you bump up against the urgency of now. And, and part of it is discerning where does it match or fit in the best, right? And, you know, there are times when it's like, was like, oh, my God, we should have never done that. And then there are other times like, oh, this was the right thing to do, right? And and I think, you know, for me, um, I think the most important ingredient in all of that is humility. Because mm. at the end of the day, no matter how long you've done this, like, there is no, like, organizing, fighting for justice, there's no single um, recipe that, this is, mm. we're not making widgets, right? And I think that I, I often tell um, my staff or younger organizers that, you know, come and ask to, meet with me that I would stay away from people who tell you they know exactly how to do it, right? Because actually none of us really know how to do it, especially in this political climate, none of us know how to do it. And that I think um, being part of fighting for justice really requires always having a learning stance. Hmm. So, one of the, so one of those, there are two things that I heard was, was humility and having a kind of taking on a learning posture no matter what. How do you discern like, so in the midst of all of that mm -hmm. chaos, then how do you sort of stay centered in, um, so that way you don't get kind of blown yeah. away by all of the, like, different, uh, yeah. uh, the fierce urgency of now, right? Right. Yeah, so, um, I mean, in a very practical way in, in our organization, what we, what we, what I ended up doing was, I mean, literally, like, every other day, like, my staff were coming up with a new idea to change the world, right? Like, I mean, and, and you know, truth be told, like, um, about half my team is in DC, and when you know January, what was it, two thousand and whatever that year was hit, sixteen hit. I mean, 17. It, seventeen hit. It it really was a huge change in the atmosphere, right? Like I was there um, for the women's march, but came in earlier for the inauguration, and you could just. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't even know if this is this was even possible, but like you can smell the racism and misogyny in the air, right? Mm -hmm. And like I was literally telling Lyft drivers, stay, stay home tomorrow. This is not going to be worth it. And then when I was getting in cabs the next day to go to the Women's March, sure enough, like somebody had been spat on, somebody had, had, had their hair pulled, like these are Lyft drivers, right? Like, and so I, I see like living, you know, in some ways I think, um, you know, obviously we all live with 
different proximity and, and realities, but in, as it relates to like our federal government and what's happening with Trump, like folks living in DC were really feeling it in their bones, and so they were like, we need to do everything, right? And so what I ended up doing was um, we, I sat down with my team and we came up with five screening questions that you have to answer before you bring an idea to somebody else, right? And this is a way to provide some space for everyone, right? Because I think, um, as Pastor Emily mentioned earlier in her sermon, that we live in an era of like, you know, doing everything really fast and our attention spans are very limited. And really, yes, it is also the, we live in an era where our attention is being sought much more aggressively, mm. but that actually means that we need to have a much more aggressive discipline to know that that is happening, right? And um, I really appreciated Drew um, sharing his testimony around like, like food, right? Like when you're doing certain type of fast, like do not put, you know, do not bake brownies every night, right? Like it just, that's just not, I mean, why would you, like there, there's a level of like, there are some things that you can do to make it less, difficult or stressful, right? And so for, for me, I think that's, that's what it's been about, especially with the ramping up of like what Facebook has done and, you know, just, I mean, even like real news people, I feel like half the stuff they report, like if it's not inflammatory, they don't want to report mm -hmm. it. You know, that's just how our world has become, right? And so we have to have self-discipline to, to not react and respond. And, and often I actually say um, much of my insights have come from raising my daughter, right? Like, her job these days is to, I mean, it's been for about 18 months, like, to get a reaction out of me, mm. right? Right? And so, like, my job is to know that and not react, right? And, and I think that applies for most areas of our lives, um, especially when you feel like you're in an area of life where you're constantly having to be responsive or defensive. So you shared with me about a particular practice as you saw your staff kind of feeling very overwhelmed and, and swimming, trying to keep afloat in these chaotic waters that you sort of, that you learned from one of your board members, I think, right? Um, I don't know if they were a board member or early, original founders yeah. of the organization, um, that you found a lot of help in, um, uh, in to, a useful tool for, for centering self, particularly in the values um, that of, of kind of justice seeking yeah. and wholeness yeah. of life. Um, and so I thought uh, that, would, that could be really helpful for us as we sort of try to navigate yeah. the waters that we live in. And so would you be willing to share a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I think um, just to give a little background, I think one of the things that's really important about centering is that you have something to focus on, right? So in yoga, they call it dristi, dristi if some of you practice yoga, right? Like when you're supposed to be balancing on the tippy toes of your one foot, you are supposed to focus on one focal point and that helps you stay balanced, right? And it's the same, I, I have really terrible um, uh, motion sickness, so when like, I'm out on the boat or something, when I start to get sick, I look at the one, I look at something that's really close to me that's not moving, and that helps me, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, this, and I didn't realize this too, but um, the other day I was running on the treadmill and the light was like reflecting on my screen in a way that if I, looked at it, it made everything move like this, so I had to cover it with a towel in order for me to not mm. feel like I was gonna like throw up on the treadmill, right? So that's, that's what you need to create in your life, right? So when you start feeling like that knot in your tummy or the 
sweaty palms or your brain racing, like those are key, those are cues for you to be like, you know, because when I start feeling nauseous, I'm like, okay, now I need to find something to focus on, right? So you need to have enough, enough awareness to start realizing those first signs. And then you need to have a practice you can do right away that helps you focus. Like, what is that thing you're going to focus on, right? And so I learned this thing called um, um, the 10-step forward stance. And it was developed by um, one of Napov's founding members, Norma Wong, who is a, um, a fourth-generation Chinese-American uh, who lives in Hawaii. Um, and she's a Buddhist priest. And the idea is that not only is our, our ability to focus and create space in our lives a mental thing, that it is a physical thing, right? It's an embodiment of, of the things that we want to change in our mind, right? And I think, you know, folks who do yoga, you might understand this a little bit more because that's kind of what yoga does. But the idea is... Um, and, and this was developed for the social justice movement. And so, we, so I teach this with, to my staff and at other retreats. And basically the idea is that like, in order for you to um, be able to stay in the game for the long haul, like I explained earlier, and not like burn out after two years of like, you know, going like this, and you're like, oh my god, I'm tired, I got to go, and all you've done is dug a big hole, right? Like, <laughs> you, you need to have practices that sustain you. And the idea is that the the optimum is that you are fully aware of what creates the best momentum that also allows you to have balance, right? So oftentimes, um, we are leaned in way too forward. We're trying to do too many things. We're like squeezing in that 15-minute meeting between another meeting and you're running late and running late and running late. That's usually my life. And that's when I know that I, my stance is not a forward stance. Hmm. My stance is too far leaned forward, right? And also, on the flip side is people who are like, not, don't feel a thing, right? Like, oh, well, Donald Trump is just another president. We survived Bush. We'll survive Trump. I'm like, no, right? And those people are leaning way too bad. They're falling backwards. They're not helping the movement either, right? The, the right stance also is actually not straight because then you don't have movement, momentum. The forward stance is actually on putting your... Um, like physical embodiment of a forward stance is putting your body weight on the balls of your feet, slightly leaning forward, what we call a 60-40, right? So if being straight is 50-50, there's 50% of you in the front and 50% of you in the back. Forward stance is 60% of you is in the front and 40% of you is in the back. So it's a gentle forward movement, right? Because this gives you ability to move if you have to, or step back if you have to, much more quickly, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the basics. So sometimes I just stop and I say, okay, what is my forward stance in this moment, right? And then there's a whole practice that goes with it. Um, how much time do we have? Uh, Not a lot, probably right? Couple, yeah, probably okay. the first couple of So um, I'm, I'm going to just go through the whole movement, and then I gave Pastor Emily the link, so if you all want to practice it, and then we'll just do a couple of steps together. So you do the forward stance, and, you, and it's all about also breathing, right? The first move of it is you're going to do a clean cut. And then you're going to look to the past, and you're going to bring it into the future. Then you're going to gather up the wisdom of your ancestors, draw it into you first, and then push it out into the community. 
And then you're going to set, because sometimes you just need to set and balance, regroup. <laughs> and you're going to slingshot and gather up and snake through the sun. And then you're going to just let it roll off you. And you're going to gather up for the biggest move of the set, and it's called a dragon's tail, and you twist and turn and set. So all of those each pieces, sometimes I just, you know, like I have to make a decision and my mind is swimming. I'll just do this, you know, for like five minutes. I'll just do this while I'm thinking, right? And does the cut, like what, does that mean something? Like it's just like to, like for, for clarity, right? It's a clean cut. You need a clean cut, right? Like a surgeon needs to know precisely where they need to cut. Sometimes you just need a, a very precise decision, right? Like this mm -hmm. is not the moment to be gray and, and you know. Um, and so that's, that's what I do. I, I sometimes just say I just need clarity of my mind and I just need a clear decision and I just need a clean cut, right? And then there are days where I feel like I'm completely empty and I just need... So I draw in the wisdom of my ancestors towards me, right? And remember that that has to come first before I can push it out into the community, right? So there are, there are different pieces of it that help. And then there's, you know, the, the, this is called the uh, rain down Beijing um, in Tai Chi. But it's just sometimes you just need to let things roll off of you, right? Mm. And so for me, it's physical embodiment of things that I get stuck on in my head that helps me do that. So if everyone could stand up, we're going to just... Do the first couple of steps. Um, obviously, standing behind a chair is not ideal, but I know we're short in time, so let's try and figure it out. So the most important thing I want you to learn today is the forward stance, which is your body weight is slightly shifted towards the front of your body to the balls of your feet, and your toes are really what's holding you steady. Okay, forward stance. And your legs are hips width, hip width apart, not too close, not too far, but natural, okay? And then first deep breath in, and you're going to swing your arm to the back and clean cut and step forward with your left foot, right? Let's do that one more time. Breathe in and clean cut. And be intentional and deliberate through the entire movement. So it's a clean cut. Everything is at the same pace. Everything is at the same pace. Right? One more time. Breathe in and swing and clean cut. And from your clean cut, your fingers on your index finger, you're going to swing to the back, look to your past, and you're going to bring it into the future. So it's kind of like a wave. So you're bringing your experiences from the past into the future. Okay, let's just do that one more time. Forward stance, breathe in and swing and clean cut. Look to the past and bring it into the future. All right, thank you. Um, so there's a, I'm gonna have I've created a bit.ly uh, to, to link to the YouTube video if anyone wants to um, see it. There's a link um, that you all can kind of refer to to look at it again. And obviously, you can also listen to the podcast if you want to be reminded what all of the, the steps are. So 
Um, as you all know, uh, we'll be celebrating the life and legacy of Dr. King um, tomorrow, right? We've already heard a little bit about the rally that we're, that we're invited to participate in. Um, and the thing about Dr. King is like, it would be easy to relegate, relegate his work to write like a kind of warm, fuzzy, feel-good effort that got black and white kids to play together in the street. Um, but in fact, it's, that, it's the shape that broader language and storytelling about his life um, has often taken that uh, kind of rhetoric, right, which has sort of left it a little bit toothless. But we know that Dr. King's efforts were far from warm and fuzzy. Warm and fuzzy doesn't put you on the FBI list, right? Warm and fuzzy doesn't uh, get you death threats leading up to assassination. Dr. King's work was sharp, and it was unapologetic. It was demanding, but it was also inviting. He welcomed anyone who was willing to join in the work. And toward the end of his life, Dr. King found himself at odds with some of his colleagues because of the way his focus began to shift beyond civil rights. He started to include anti-war efforts and poverty elimination. He talked about the triple evils of racism, militarism, and um, materialism that threatened the soul of this country. And to some, it may have seemed that Dr. King was getting off track in his work, that he was muddling the issues. But if you look closely, if you listen to his words, you'll know that he was drawing deeply from the values that he had always been guided by, but had taken on a richer texture because of his relationships with other spiritual leaders of social movements, right? Values of beloved community, values of nonviolence and nonviolent social change. Pulling in from traditions that might be, have been different from the ones that he grew up in, but he recognized as being helpful to center him in the ultimate sense of call that he was called to do in this work, in this world. And so as we engage in the deep work of discernment, there are a lot of resources at our disposal. So like Ignatian spirituality offers some, a really helpful process, right? If you're sort of like, what's a step-by-step -step way for me to make a specific decision? That's a great resource, Ignatian spirituality. And I can um, send you a link on that if you want to learn more about that. Clearness committees, as, as we had, uh, as Kate mentioned earlier, that um, Trevor and Allison have both very, been involved with um, in the Quaker communities that they've been part of, right? They're a great way and powerful way to do discernment and community about a specific um, issue that you're trying to grapple or, or gain some clarity on. Kind of where, what is your inner wisdom telling you about, about this issue? However, all of these resources and tools are only to point us in the most fruitful direction if they're rooted and guided by our values to reveal a path forward, right? They're tools, but they are not your values. Let God's love, revealed through the life of Jesus, show the way. Move from that place, that center, and you'll never get too far off track. Who knows? You might even end up fording some Russian operatives. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the gift of discernment that you invite us into your work, your holy work, with thoughtfulness, with grace, and even with joy. And we pray that um, as we live in the world that we live in that competes for our attention, that tries to draw us into fights that are not your fights, help us to be people of self-discipline. Help us to be people who take on practices that help us to cut through the noise of this world and hear very clearly where it is that you are calling us to move, how it is that you are calling us to stand, both forward but sometimes maybe still. Grant us the wisdom and the kind of community that we need to do this work and do it well, to do it in ways that reflect your grace in this world. 
not out of a place of anxiety, but out of a place of rootedness in you and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.